the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Enjoy. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
As I slept, I dreamed a dream, and in this dream I saw a man clothed in rags, standing in a place with his face turned away from his house. He had a book in his hand and a heavy burden upon his back. And I looked, and I saw him open the book and begin to read. And as he read, he wept and trembled. Not being able to contain himself, he cried out in a loud voice, What shall I do? So begins this wonderful book, The Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which Is to Come. It was written by John Bunyan back in the 1600s, in fact, published in 1678, has been in continuous publication from that day until this. It is second only to the Bible in popularity through the years. In recent years, however, we've pretty much forgotten about Pilgrim's Progress. I believe it's time we go back to those solid principles that John Bunyan outlined so eloquently in this allegory. I'm reading to you from a volume edited by C.J. Lovick. I'm reading it by permission of Crossway Publishers. When I consider this volume, it becomes very clear that it is utterly impossible to be serious about the journey toward heaven if one has never felt a burden of sin. The burden of sin only comes into a person's life when they hear and comprehend the grave danger they are in as they live in this world. That's why when John Bunyan was in prison, being punished for preaching the gospel without a license. He struggled in his heart, how can I communicate this desperate need regarding the burden of sin? And he penned the words found in Pilgrim's Progress. The primary character was a man by the name of Graceless, and of course Graceless became the pilgrim. He became Christian. This journey that he was on was from the city of destruction to the celestial city. Are you on that pilgrimage? Are you on that journey? The only way this journey can be successfully taken up is if you first have felt the burden of sin on your heart. Now, most today have never felt that burden of sin. In fact, we've been taught today in the modern church that it's all right if you sin. All you need to do is confess the name of Jesus, say a few words of repentance, and you're assured at the modern church's altar that you are now saved and on your way to heaven. Nothing could be further from the truth. Many who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, when they finally heard what Jesus Christ was saying about my body is real food and my blood is real drink, said this is a hard saying, who can accept it? 
and they stopped following Jesus Christ. Well, those words are as true today as they were when spoken by Jesus 2,000 years ago. The word is very clear. The only source of sustenance, the only place of nourishment in this world is Jesus Christ. Everything else is passing away and is of the flesh. We're going to get into this in depth today. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I welcome you to Pilgrim's Progress. We will lay out today once more very clearly a guide for your journey from death to life and from this world to that which is to come. We'll do it by reading a chapter out of this wonderful book, Pilgrim's Progress. And then we're going to go to the seventh chapter of the book of Romans and unfold a truth that Bunyan is going to bring forth today in the reading. Now let's go directly to the story of this dear pilgrim Christian. He has just come up a very difficult hill where he literally was down on his hands and knees pulling himself up and over this hill. Anyone who has followed Jesus for any length of time understands there will be those hills when you feel like giving up, but you know the cost of giving up, and so you continue in the way, in the narrow path, and the narrow path usually goes straight over those tough hills. Then he finds a place of lodging, but the place of lodging is blocked by two lions. That also is usually the case in the walk with Jesus Christ. You begin to walk, and then lions roar at you. They rise up before you, and you're frightened of them. You don't know how to get through. But as you walk forward, by the grace of God, he opens a path for you, and he preserves you. I was speaking Sunday about this wonderful experience the children of Israel had called Passover. Passover in the Hebrew is the word Pesach, and it literally means the wing of God. We come under the wing of God. He is our place of refuge. And so as you meet these lions in the way, you turn aside and you will be destroyed. You go straight at them and straight through them. Under the wing of God, you are preserved for eternity. We begin on page 72. Then said Christian to the porter, Sir, whose house is this? And may I lodge here tonight? And the porter answered, this house was built by the Lord of the hill. He built it for the relief and security of pilgrims. The porter also asked Christian where he was from and where he was going. I am come from the city of destruction and am going to Mount Zion. But the sun has now set. I was hoping to lodge here for the night. Well, what is your name? My name is now... Christian, but my name used to be Graceless. I came of the race of Japheth, whom God will persuade to dwell in the tents of Shem, 
But why is it that you're so late? The porter asked. The sun has indeed set. Christian replied, I would have been here sooner, but wretched man that I am, I slept in the arbor that stands on the hillside, and in my sleep I lost my scroll. I traveled without it to the brow of the hill where I stretched and searched, but could not find it. I was then forced with a sorrowful heart to go back to the arbor where I'd slept. It was there I recovered my scroll, and now here I am. The porter stated, Well, I will call one of the virgins of this place, who will, if she approves of your testimony, bring you into the rest of the family according to the rules of the house. Then Watchful, the porter, rang a bell, at the sound of which a serious-looking, beautiful maiden came out of the door of the house. Her name was Discretion. She immediately asked, Why have you called? The porter answered, This man is on a journey from the city of destruction to Mount Zion, but being weary and with night coming on, he has asked me if he might lodge here tonight. I told him I would call you, who, after having a conversation with him, may do what seems best to you, even according to the law of the house. Then she asked Christian where he was from, and where he was going, and he told her. She asked him also how he got into the way, and he told her. Then she asked him what he had seen and met with in the way, to which he replied, My name is Christian, and I have a very strong desire to lodge here tonight, because from what I perceive, this place was built by the Lord of the hill for the relief and the security of pilgrims. So she smiled with tears in her eyes, and after a short pause she said, I will call for two or three more of the family. So she ran to the door and called out for prudence, piety, and charity, who after a little more conversation with him invited him to meet the family. Many of them met him at the threshold of the house. Come in, they said, you are blessed of the Lord. This house was built by the Lord of the hill for the purpose of showing hospitality to pilgrims such as yourself. Then he bowed his head and followed them into the house. And when he had come in and sat down, they gave him something to drink and conversed together until supper was ready. Some of them passed the time profitably with very interesting discussions, and finally they asked piety and prudence and charity, to converse with Christian. Piety began, Come, good Christian, since we have received you into our home with such charity this night, let's spend our time profitably by discussing all the things that have happened to you so far on your journey. Christian replied, I'm glad you're interested in my journey and would be happy to share my adventures with you. What was the first thing that motivated you to become a pilgrim? Piety asked. I was driven out by my native country. I was driven out by a dreadful message that I could not get out of my head, and the message was that destruction was unavoidable 
if I stayed in the place where I was. I have to stop here. If you have not yet gotten this message, then you cannot be saved. There is a heaviness that must come upon your soul. It is both an agony and a delight. There must be a recognition of your rebellion against the Most High God. There must be a recognition of the harm you have done to others. There must be a conviction in your soul that you will die if you do not change your behavior. If your life is not redeemed, you will be burned up in the city of destruction when the judgments of God are poured out. If you lack this step, you cannot be saved. Again, if you have not been lost, how can you be saved? This is an absolutely vital element, the recognition of the wretchedness of your heart's condition. Now, you may have been a part of another world religion, but I can assure you that in that religion, there was no understanding of the wretchedness of your character and of the gift of a blood sacrifice to pay the price for that wretchedness. And certainly there was self-help involved in those other religions, as I have looked at Buddhism. Uh, Dr. Jampolsky has written a book where he outlines much of what is found in the Course in Miracles. He outlines self-help steps, the recognition of ambition and how ambition must be put aside and, and how we must empty ourselves. But all of this is merely self-help. Or if you look at the many gods of the Hindus, or if you look at the ancestral worship of the Shintoism, it's very clear there is no Savior here. There is no atoning blood to cover you. If you look at Islam, if you look at the Prophet Muhammad, even in his life, there was no rescuing from the sin of lust. In fact, lust was used as an inducement to become a Muslim so that when you go to heaven, you can have all of these virgins. There is no redeeming power. There is no redeeming blood. There is simply the message that you must do more good things than bad things. Now, I'm oversimplifying, but please understand, you need a Savior. You need one who died for you and who is now risen, who is the resurrected Lord, who will one day sit in the judgment bar and you must face him. Now, please understand, you will not face Allah. You will not face any God but Jesus Christ, and he will judge you. First, he will judge you on whether you chose to remain in the city of destruction, 
and then you will be burned with this with the city of destruction. He will look carefully to see whether you came in through the narrow gate, whether you laid your life down, whether you were crucified with him, whether you were raised to life as a new creature. All of this is of utmost seriousness. And if you have not considered these issues, if you are going to the coffee house and having a coffee and a muffin, and you're going to work, and you're going to the clubs, and you're reaching out and caring about people, and you're living just a wonderful American life, you cannot be saved. Salvation will come only to those who have felt this heavy burden of sin, an agony of it, and yet a joy because you're awakening to your real condition before God. I'm I'm terrified that many of you listening to this broadcast will attend a church or a synagogue or a, a mosque, and you will go through certain rituals, and then you will think that you are now free to live your wonderful American life, pursuing your love of sports, pursuing your love of whatever it is. No. No today that if that's your walk, you will be destroyed in the city of destruction. There is a place of righteousness and holiness that we have utterly lost in America today. John Bunyan saw this in 1600s, and he trembled before God because of this. People said John Bunyan was losing his mind. In fact, if you read biographers, if you read those recently who've written about him, they will say that he had a a psychological problem, that he had an obsessive, compulsive behavior because he was so desperately concerned about his sin. I want to tell you, when you read Pilgrim's Progress, you know you're not reading the writings of a deranged man. You know you're reading the writings of a man who has met Jesus Christ. You know you're reading the writings of a man who has spent countless hours in the Scriptures. A man who knows the Word of God. He was a Reformed Baptist. I want to say that again. He was a Reformed Baptist. My background is Armenian or Methodist. But we come together in an understanding that you cannot walk in sin and be saved. Bunyan wrote, like a ship that has a leak is a person's life who has sin in it. They will surely not make safe harbor they will both be destroyed. Please understand, Jesus died for sin. He died to destroy the work of the devil. He died that sin might utterly be destroyed in your life. So if you're still walking in it, 
knows that you're walking on a path that will surely lead you to destruction. Let's continue with piety's questioning of Christian. What was the first thing that motivated you to become a pilgrim, piety asked. I was driven out of my native country by a dreadful message that I could not get out of my head. And the message was that destruction was unavoidable, unavoidable, unavoidable if I stayed in that place where I was. But how did it happen that you came out of your country by this way? It was God. It was as if he he led me. I was under the fear of destruction. I did not know where to go. But I was approached by a man as I was trembling and weeping. His name was Evangelist. He directed me to the small sheep gate, which without his direction I would never have found. And that put me on the way that led me directly to this house. If you please, I'm coming to you today as evangelist. I'm coming to you and saying clearly, you can never find that small sheep gate until you are driven out of the city of destruction by terror of your sins. If you don't comprehend what I'm saying, you will be even as those men and women, boys and girls, in Sodom and in Gomorrah. As they got up in the morning and they went about their daily tasks, they had their breakfast, they went about to their new building construction site, or they went about selling their sheep or their cattle. They were going and preparing for a wedding. Perhaps even the bride and groom were making their way to that place where they would be married when suddenly the fire and brimstone of heaven fell in judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah, and in a moment they were consumed in a holocaust of fire. This is what will happen again in the city of destruction. It is coming very soon. It is coming to Washington, D.C. very, very soon. And thousands, millions, will lose their lives. Will you be one of those who has received their comfort and their heaven in the city of destruction? Or will you allow the Holy Spirit to quicken your heart And will you turn to the Scriptures? And will you begin to read and allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of the the bitterness, of the lying, of the cheating, of the jealousy, of the ambition, of the lust, of the pornography, of of the adultery, of the fornication? of the uncleanness of your life? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to convict you? One precious woman said to me, 
She came to church, and I, I asked, Why are you here? What brought you? She said, I have grown tired of my wicked life. I no longer want to wake up in the morning feeling dirty. I no longer want to walk in the wickedness of my heart. I can't stand it anymore. I must find Jesus. And oh, what a change in her expression now. She could very well be piety, questioning someone coming now into the church. Because by grace, her sins have been washed away. By grace, the sin has been removed from her life. Its power has been removed and destroyed and taken away. And now she walks pure before God. My phone number is 877-534-070780. I would love to have someone call right now and say to me, Pastor, I'm sick of my sin. And I want to live the kind of life you're talking about. I want a journey to that narrow gate. I want to be washed and made clean. I want the power of sin broken in my life. If that's you today, would you call right now? Would you, would you say that? Would you let me pray with you? My phone number again is 877-534-0780. I know by way of the Spirit that many of you listening are convicted of your sin but you're still trying to make a decision about what you're going to do. You may even be angry at some of the things I'm saying. And perhaps you've turned me off and now you've come back. I know that's been the experience of others. But in the spirit, I know he's convicting you right now of your sin. Would you call? Would you confess that? Would you, build, would you build a testimony that you are beginning your journey? Or if you're one who has been on this journey, you've been washed and you've been made clean, call and share the joy of that journey, the joy of waking in the morning with the sweetness of innocence in your heart, and the songs of joy that you lift up before the throne of God. Because you're walking clean in Jesus today. 877-534-0780. I'm waiting for you. What would you like to do? What would you like to do? While I wait for you, I'm going to go back to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. And just way of invitation, we would very much enjoy having you come on Easter Sunday to the National Prayer Chapel and attend our worship service. We meet at 1.30 for prayer, 2 o'clock, we begin with
praise and worship. We would enjoy having you join together with us. You can go to nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you can find directions for coming. Or you can call 703-672-1203 and leave a message if you don't have Internet access and ask for directions, and I'll call you back and share with you how you can come. Again, 703-672-1203. Let's go back now to Piety's Questions. How did it happen that you came out of your country by this way? It was as as God would have it. I was under the fear of destruction. I did not know where to go, but by chance I was approached by a man as I was trembling and weeping. His name was Evangelist, and he directed me to the small sheep gate, which without his direction I would never have found. And that put me on the way that led me directly to this house. But how did you not come by the house of the interpreter? Oh, I came by his house, Christian went on, and while I was there I saw and heard things that I will remember forever. Three things that were the most important. First, how Christ, despite Satan, maintains his work of grace in the heart. And second, the man in the iron cage who sinned himself out of the hope of God's mercy. And finally, the dream of the man who thought his sleep, who thought in his sleep that the day of judgment had come. Now you remember these three stories. The first is, an open fireplace, and Satan is there throwing water on that fire, trying to put it out. And the interpreter took him around in the back and showed him there Jesus Christ was. And Jesus Christ was there pouring oil on the fire in his heart that he would stay and walk and follow Jesus. Again, if you'd like to join me, it's 877 534-0780. Let's go to Tom. Hi, Tom. Welcome. Hello, Pastor Ray. How are you? I'm doing well. What would you like to share? Oh, I just wanted to uh, say w- what you're sharing over the airwaves is so incredibly powerful. It's so convicting. Uh, it's just, it's tremendous. You know, to bring back uh, the old, you know, reminds me of uh, Jeremiah 6, I don't know what it is, Jeremiah 6.16 or whatever, that uh, God calls his people back to the old paths that they might find rest for their souls. Yes. And, uh, that uh, That is so indicative of what you're sharing. Uh, and that's a tremendous translation of uh, Pilgrim's Progress, because I don't know where I saw part of Pilgrim's Progress written, you know, in the original form, and you're right, it's, it's, it's difficult to understand in the, in the older English, so uh, praise God. Well, Tom, uh, tell me some of what your walk is in Jesus. Well, my, you know, it's interesting, I've been listening to some of the broadcasts, and by the way, I, I sent you an email, at, uh, and you replied back, and I'm very sorry 
to hear about your wife's passing, but I know she's one million times better off than we are right now. Yes, she is, Tom. That's, that's for sure. But uh, uh, I was thinking, in fact, I was talking last night, I was at a small church service, and at the end we were, and you had mentioned Romans 7, and that's what we were talking about. And he was talking about uh, some of his children, and one of them was not, had fallen off the wagon, so to speak. And, you know, he was talking about his issues, and and he was waiting for a feeling, a feeling of faith, so to speak. And I said, we we don't walk by feelings. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And because he had had an experience with the Lord where, you know, he had had this experiential feeling. And I told him, he, he's, I told him, tell his son, he's, I, he's not to rely on that. He's to rely on the quickened word of God. Yes. And, uh, and I sense that in, in my soul. And at the same time, uh, I know that, uh, you know, evil is present with me. When I am determined to do good, I know evil is present with me at the same time. So, you know, it's a victory. And yet, I believe it's a day-to-day walk as well. It is a day-to-day walk, Tom, and we're going to... And I stumble sometimes. <laughs> I got, In fact, you, you were talking about the burden of sin. I was thinking, well, I got two things. One is, you know, recognizing the burden of sin or that, that evil is present. Number two is uh, my stupidity. If I can get rid of half my stupidity, then I can get rid of a lot of, a lot of issues, you know. You know, I think, Tom... When we get to heaven, we're going to still have our stupidity. Oh, please don't tell me that, Pastor Ray. <laughs> well, it, we're going to still have it. My dad used to say to me, Ray, when we get to heaven, we're going to be like calves in a stall. We're going to have to grow up a lot. Oh, I hear that. Boy, that's good preaching. I mean, there's no there's no sin in immaturity if we follow the leading of the Spirit. Oh. We've got to grow up. Yes. And I, and I praise God that he's growing us up as we follow in the Word, and Pilgrim's Progress has been such a powerful thing in my life to help me understand the process of growing up. Yes, yes. I, I just, I don't have to be defeated by the enemy, and the power of Christ is there for me. I, I'm not doing this in my power. It's His power. Can't, can't do it in your own power. I can't. You know, it's, it's like I remember, you know, and I, I don't know how many of your listeners know Brother Shambach, he passed away, but I know one lady came to him, you know, when he was a pastor and says, I, I can't live this Christian life. And he looked at her and says, I can't either. That's right. And the lady was in shock. You're the pastor. Your brother, you know, you're Pastor Shambach. You're, 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 you're known around the world. What do you mean? He says, I can't live it. There's no way. You know, it, it's got to be as soon as I try to live it on my own. That's, I was telling my sister once, I said, God, God will allow you to fall as soon as you try to walk this walk on your own. He's going to allow yes. you to fall because he wants you to realize it's there's no there's no glory in the flesh. And when we get to heaven, we're going to cast our our crowns before the Lord and Master Jesus and say it was all his work that brought us there. Yes. He will be the one who will receive the glory and the honor. That's it. And I'm eager to be there, Tom. Amen. Well, thank you for your call. Bless You're welcome. You, bless you for your hey, encouragement. Hey, hey, we're going to be there soon. I'll never forget the one question I, I called when you were on the broadcast years ago. And I'm, I'm not talking about eschatology now, but yeah, I thought it was a great question. 
I don't know if you remember it or not, but you said on a scale of one to ten, if and I, you know I, I stress the word if, if the rapture were happen were to happen today, where would you be on a scale of one to ten? I'll never forget that. Yes, that that was powerful, and and that's ministered to my life. So praise God. Thank you. I praise God for that, Tom. Thank you for your call. All right. Thank you. That was a good one. Eight seven seven. Five three four zero seven eight zero. Does your heart need to be encouraged in this walk? Let's go back, page seventy-five, and this is C.J. Lovick, who is the one who has edited this version. It's a it's a wonderful version. Um, let's go back now. Piety is questioning. Piety inquired. Was that all you saw at the house of the interpreter? Christian answered, no. He took me to a stately palace where the people were dressed in gold, and it was here that I saw a brave man cut his way through the armed men who stood in the door to keep him out. Then he was invited to come in to eternal glory. Seeing these things enraptured my heart. I would have stayed at that good man's house for a year. But I knew I had to go. I had further to go to the celestial city. And what else did you see in the way, Piety wanted to know? See, I went a little further, and I saw one who hung bleeding upon a tree, and the very sight of him made my burden fall off my back. For I had groaned under a very heavy burden, but then it fell off. It was a strange thing to see, and I have never seen anything like it before. And while I stood looking up at the one hanging on the cross, three shining ones came to me. One of them, one of them testified that my sins were forgiven. Another stripped me of my rags, and gave me this coat that I'm wearing. The third gave me a mark that you see in my forehead and gave me this sealed scroll, and with that he plucked it out of his coat. Piety again asked, But you saw more than this, did you not? Christian continued, The things that I have told you were the best. But there were some other things I saw. Namely, I saw three men, foolish, sloth, and presumption, lying asleep, a little out of the way, with irons upon their ankles. But do you think I could wake them? I also saw formality and hypocrisy come tumbling over the wall with a false pretense of going to Zion but they were quickly lost, as I warned them that they would be, but they would not believe me. But the hardest thing I encountered was getting up this hill and then coming upon the lions. If it had not been for the good porter who stands at the gate, I think I might have retreated and abandoned my journey. But now I thank God I am here, and I thank you for receiving me. Then Prudence began to ask Christian some questions. Do you ever think of the country you came from? Oh, yes, Christian replied. 
but with much shame, with much shame. Honestly, if if I had pleasant thoughts about the country from which I've come, I might have taken the opportunity to return. But I desire a better com- country, one that is heavenly. Well, do you still carry some of the baggage from the place you escaped? Yes, but against my will. I still have within me some of the carnal thoughts that all my countrymen seem to have as as well as myself. They were delighted with, but I'm not. Now all these things cause me to grieve. If I could master my own heart, I would choose never to think of these things again. But when I try only to think about those things that are best, those things that are the worst, creep back into my mind and behavior. Don't you find that sometimes you can defeat those evil things that at other times seem to defeat you, Prudence suggested? Yes, it happens. They're golden hours that I treasure. Can you remember the means by which you were able to defeat the evil desires and thoughts that assail you? Christian said, yes. When I think about what I experienced at the cross, that will do it. When I look at the embroidered coat, that will do it. When I read the scroll that I carry in my coat, that will do it. And when my thoughts turn to the place to which I'm going, that will do it. Prudence inquired, And what is it that makes you desirous to go to Mount Zion? Why, it is there that I hope to see alive my Savior who hung dead on the cross. It is there that I hope to be rid of all these things that to this day are still annoyance to me. They say in that place there's no death, and I will dwell there with the company that I like best. For to tell you the truth, I love him because he eased me of my burden. I am weary of my inward sickness. I desire to be where I will die no more with a company that will continually cry, Holy, holy, holy. Now, I'd like to go to the scriptures because John Bunyan only knew the Reformed faith. But I'd like to share with you Romans, the seventh chapter, and I'd like to call you to understand and have a different perspective, a different possibility. Now, I have to confess, I struggled with Romans, the seventh chapter, for many, many years. And it was not until I read carefully the teachings of John Wesley that the Lord, through the Spirit, opened my eyes so that I could understand these precious things being spoken of in this book of Romans, the seventh chapter. First, there are some principles that we must lay down, and we're not going to get through all of this today, but I'm going to do an introduction for you, and then tomorrow we will dive straight off into the book of Romans. Remember, there is a fundamental principle of hermeneutics, and that is that we must read everything in context. 
that we cannot take out of the Scripture one passage or one portion and then interpret it in light of only itself, according to our understanding. We have to instead read carefully that passage of Scripture in context so that we find the whole teaching of what's being said. Let me begin with you today just to give you a taste of where we're going. In Romans, the seventh chapter, verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now, many will interpret this passage and say, that Paul is describing his current experience because it's being given in the present tense. But that's not correct. There is in the Greek what is called the analytic presence. It's spelled A-N-N-A-L-I-S-T-I-C, the analytic present historical perspective. That is, when a person speaks of the past in the present tense. We do that in English. It's also done in the Greek. Which of you would be willing to say that the Apostle Paul, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, transformed into the likeness of Christ, the mighty preacher of the gospel of Jesus, how many of you would want to say about him that he is unspiritual and sold as a slave to sin. I would not dare say such a thing. And the Apostle Paul is not saying that of himself. He says then, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do, And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. And then because Paul is concerned that you're going to misunderstand, he says, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I want to propose to you that you read carefully the entire seventh chapter of Romans in preparation for tomorrow's broadcast. And I'm going to be showing you tomorrow as we walk through this that Paul is describing the condition of a lost and unsaved man. He is not describing the life of a Christian. Romans 8 is the description of the normal Christian life. Romans 7 is describing a man who has not yet been born again. He he is not released from the bondage of sin. Any man or woman who has been born again is released from that bondage of sin. Almighty God, I ask that you would unveil this truth to these who are listening. I pray that your spirit will move with conviction and open for them their eyes and their hearts. 
And I pray for the presence now of the Spirit to rest upon every listener. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.